0: This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, it's Doro, and I'm so excited
1: to announce that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is just around the corner on October 26th at Georgetown University. For our health gig listeners, we have a special offer. If you sign up by September 20th, you'll get $50 off your ticket. Just go to AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com and use the code HEALTHGIG. Get ready to create a happier and healthier life story. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity
0: to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone.
1: It's an honor to welcome Travis Mills to our podcast today. Both Trisha and I have had the opportunity to know you, Travis, and to hear you speak. And like everyone who's met you, we are better for it. We would love to begin with your story. So where did you grow up? And tell us about your wonderful family.
2: First, let me thank you two both for having me. I'm excited and honored to be here. And i um, grateful that you're allowing me to take time on your podcast that uh, reaches out and touches so many. So... I grew up in Michigan, a little town called Vassar, right outside of Flint and Saginaw kind of area. Real nice place to be from. Mm -hmm. And then I played some high school football and baseball and basketball. And then I went to college and decided I better try something else right now. I I wasn't really serious about school. So I tried the military out and I ended up loving it. I met my wife through my brother-in-law. At the time, was just my medic. And we got married shortly after we met. My wife, who was just a girl that sent me a MySpace friend request in 2007, was just like thinking I I looked pretty good because I was six foot three and like two seventy five and I the weights all the time, and uh, I sent a MySpace friend request and I hit accept when I realized it was my medic's little sister, <laughs> and we started chit chatting after being overseas for almost a year. I had eighteen days of R and R. I decided to see if she wanted to hang out. And she said yes. So first time I met her, I flew into Dallas, picked her up. And we went to Mexico for a week and she was 18 and I was 20. So her parents were not pleased at all.
1: Didn't her brother want to kill
0: you?
2: I mean, yeah, he's just a dainty guy, though. So I wasn't really worried about him. Not very tough looking. Yeah, he wasn't pleased, but I mean, I'm a good person. So he ultimately was like, I guess you're a good enough guy.
1: So that worked out.
2: We went over there and came back, got married in 2008. Had an apartment, bought a dog. And then after being home, I had to go deploy again for a year. I came back and we bought a house and then found out we were going to have a baby. Um, Uh And my daughter was born in September of 2011. And then I had to deploy again for my third trip. And my third trip over was more hectic and adrenaline pumping than the last two. But I just happened to have a bad day on April 10th of 2012 where I my backpack down on a bomb. And then the bomb went off. It took off my right arm, right leg automatically. My left leg was uh, mangled up pretty bad. And my left arm was hit pretty good. I rolled over and I saw the aftermath and my medic came up to me and I told him, don't worry about it. I didn't think I was going to make it. And he was like, let me do my job. And he started to work on me. And I was just fortunate to have great medics and team of guys in the ground that got me to the helicopter. And the helicopter did really great things on the flight there. And I made it to the operating table. I was rushed into 14 hours of surgery where nine doctors and seven nurses worked on me. And while they were working on me, they went ahead and started to undress me and my left leg came with it. So I was a triple amputee. Ugh. They had to do blood transfusions, I had over 30, and where they had to rush and have people donate right from their veins to mine. That's how I spent April 10th. And then my brother-in-law got the word, what happened? He flew in to meet me. We flew to Bagram together on April 12th. They went in and they looked at my skin and my hand had died. They call it necrotizing. So my skin had necrotized, so they had to cut my hand off. So I became quadruple amputee on April 12th. And then two days later, they woke me up for the first time in Show, Germany. And it was my brother-in-law in the room. So when I woke up, I looked at him and said, you know, my soldiers hire my soldiers. And he told me about the two guys that got hit with me, Brandon and Ryan, where they were at, what they were doing, how their injuries were. Then I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, no. And I said, man, I, you don't know, got to lie to me. I can't uh, from my fingers and toes. So like, am I paralyzed? And he said, no, but you don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I spent April 14th, which just so happens to be my mom and dad's favorite day in the whole entire world, because that's the day their favorite child was born. Which <laughs> Your for me, sister. That, was my, that was my 25th birthday yeah. uh, that I woke up on. So I was pretty down and out. do didn't want to talk to anybody. He made me call my wife eventually and my parents real simple, you know, Hey, what's up? Fine. Love you. Bye. I arrived at Walter Reed in Maryland on April 17th, and when I got there, my right leg had ripped open, my sutures had split, and they told my wife when she came up to see me for the first time that she was in charge of medical care now, and that, I had to have her sign a piece of paper for a cut two inches off her in right leg because if not, I'd have bled out and died. So she did that. The next day she came in the room and I was awake and stable and I told her she should take everything we have and go. This isn't life I would choose for her or anybody. And she was 23, I was 25, and we had a six-month-old. And I said, financially, whatever I have is yours. I'll fund whatever I can for you and make sure you have the best life possible, but you don't have to put up for this. And she was like, that's not how this works. So she stayed. So pretty exciting that she was there for me. My parents were there. My in-laws were there. And it wasn't until later on I found out that she was more excited about the handicap parking than putting up with me. (laughs) So, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. No, I know. At Walter Reed, I had 19 months of recovery. took a little while to be able to look in the mirror. You know, I didn't want to look at myself and couldn't really, you know, stand what I saw in the mirror. I went down 110 pounds. When I was 250, I got hit and then I was 140 pounds. You know, I I think I was done in 13 months really. And then the rest was just paperwork and getting everything situated for me to retire out and move to Maine where my wife's from and and go from there.
0: How often do you go back to April 14th?
2: I go back to April 14th every year. It's my birthday, but April 10th, the day I got blown yeah. up. You know, I got some friends that have birthdays on that day. So I just celebrate that. They call it your Alive Day. Mm. And a lot of guys are like, Oh yeah, my alive day. I'm gonna, you know, go out and party or whatever. And I'm like, No, I was born April 14th, so April 10th is just another day. I mm-hmm. just had a bad day at work. So I don't really think about it. This year I'm presenting to a school locally. I don't put a lot of focus on it. You know, it's just another day in history for me. And, and I'm just grateful to still be around. And there's no reason to really dwell on the past. That's one of the life lessons that I've learned is instead of dwelling on the past, I just reminisce what I had. And I'm grateful for the future that I, that I have left.
0: Yeah, that was what struck Doro and I when we were with you in, in conversation and then listening to you, that ability that you could do that. You know, it's a challenge. How did you do it?
2: It was just kind of, at first, I wanted everybody to leave me alone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was questioning why this happened. Am I a bad person? It just went forward with how lucky am I to still be here? And then I met a guy that was in the same situation that was going through a lot of therapy before I was ever injured. And he flew in just to say, hey, what's up? I'm Todd. I'm going to help you get through this. You're going to be fine. And you'll be able to walk and drive and do everything you want to do. And I was just so excited to know that I could get better that It just kinda became my job. That's kind of how I did it.
1: Is that when you came up with never give up?
2: Absolutely, yeah. My slogan, my motto, I'm never gonna give up and I'm never gonna quit. There's some iPhone footage on one of my very first days of my recovery, the nursing staff or the physical therapists were saying, If you need to take a break, you know, just go ahead and feel free to take a break. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, I'm never gonna give up and I'm never gonna quit. And that's just kinda where it came from. I just figured if my wife's gonna stay, if I'm here, and Walter Reed has the ability to help me walk and drive and do everything. Why not just get better? Wow.
0: And you certainly have. And the lives that you're touching and changing are incredible. Tell us about your new foundations and what you're working on.
2: Well, before I got out of the hospital, really, I was seeing everybody do such amazing work with nonprofits. And my wife and I thought we should really give back. We should really try to do something.
0: Travis, can I ask you a question? How long were you in the hospital?
2: 19 months. It was grueling and it was frustrating at times, but also very rewarding and very helpful to be able to go through like that.
1: In the movie, A Soldier's Story, which is a really touching film Mm -hmm. that I think everyone should watch, your fellow soldiers would say about you that you're the strongest willed person they know, Mm -hmm. that you're always happy, that you were a leader, that you were a fearless leader. Were some of these traits the things that enabled you to have this new life and not give up what do you think the biggest trait was, the most important trait?
2: I think it was confidence and pride, also knowing that someone else did it in front of me, knowing that my wife's not gonna leave and that I'm gonna do my best to get better because they're here. My daughter's still my daughter. I'm mm-hmm. still her father. There was nothing I could do about it. So I learned instead of, you know, dwelling on the past, I just might as well reminisce and push forward and that in any situation, I'm in control of how I feel. I'm in control of my attitude and it's up to me how I wanna go about getting better. I was just kind of stubborn about it, really. I mean, I wanted to be at PT as much as possible and OT as much as possible, and I wanted to make sure that I could go as far as I could with my recovery each day so that I could just keep getting better.
1: How is your pain now?
2: I have absolutely no pain. I am very fortunate. I had a ketamine coma, and the coma was new age. I was the second in the nation to ever have it. Wow! But I actually walked away with absolutely no pain after I mean, it took a little while, but I don't take any medication. I don't go to any counseling. I, I'm fortunate to have really no side effects of anything. Only thing I have is my amputations, <laughs> So my arms and legs gone.
0: What kind of coma was it? Tell us about that.
2: So it's called a ketamine coma and ketamine is this horse tranquilizer style drug. They used it to reset my brain to think where my nerves end is where they actually end because I am in such bad pain. They thought I'd either get so immune to the drugs that I would overdose and die or I'd be in chronic pain the rest of my life. And we did three different case studies and trials. The last trial they did was the ketamine coma. Like I said, it's second in the nation, 30th in the world to have it. And they gave me 600 milligrams an hour for five days straight. And it's like a PCP or LSD style drug to the point where it just made me hallucinate like crazy for at least 10 days. It was just a wild, wild ride. In the documentary, I tell people I would never do it again if I had the choice, which I did the documentary just a couple of months after the coma. And looking back now, I would absolutely do it again. I would absolutely be able to go through this because I can live a pain-free life where I don't take any medication at all. That's amazing. When I took my medication, I really felt like a drone if I uh, missed it. And I was like, I don't want to feel like this. So my wife came in and she just was giving me my pills one day during Halloween times. And I said, you know what? I'm done with this stuff. I don't want to do this no more. And she's like, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, I can. And it was painful for about a week, but I finally got done with it.
0: So the post-traumatic syndrome, you're handling that?
2: No, I don't have that at all. I don't have any regret about what I did overseas. I don't feel bad about anything. And Mm -hmm. there's no nightmares or wake up sweating. I feel people that do have that, but I don't know if it's because of the recovery at Walter Reed or because everybody was going through with me together at Mm -hmm. Walter Reed, the same thing. We don't really suffer from a lot of that. I'm just grateful that I don't really. I've been in firefights. I've had to kill people Watch buddies die, it just didn't affect me.
1: Does talking about what happened to you so openly, do you think that helps your recovery? It certainly helps others who've gone through the same thing.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think it does. I think it's a little bit of self healing for me. I think that being able to be open and honest about what I was going through helps other people. And I know that when I go and present and I get the chance to get on stage and talk about how my life was going and what I went through and then how I got better, it's not just helping me, you know, talk about everything with everybody. But it's also helping the other people in the, the audience get better and keep thriving in life and to know that life can always get better. So always keep pushing to better yourself and be there in the present instead of, you know, really being down on yourself.
0: When you're talking, I was just thinking in the book and then watching your a soldier the story soldier story. The people that have always been around you and even now, it's amazing. The community that you have around you now, if you could talk about that. We love meeting Brandy and your father-in-law and the relationship you have with all these people that obviously love you very, very much.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's all about building the right foundation are building a strong team the way that we did things for the foundation we made sure that we only hire people that we trust that we believe will have our best interest and you guys met my executive director who really she just reached out to volunteer she just wanted to volunteer she's like hey you know what i'd love to get behind your mission i'd love to volunteer And we saw her credentials and we're like hey do you want a job <laughs> and she was like yeah Okay, we can do that. No, actually she came in and she was taking a lesser position than what she was already doing for a different company and was just so excited to be part of the team and and now she's running the whole entire show. She's also sitting in the room with me right now, so I want to make <laughs> anything bad.
1: Hi, Brandy. We love
2: Brandy. <laughs> she'll, take, she'll take my arms and legs away if I do anything wrong.
1: <laughs> You're obviously a lover of people and mm-hmm. I loved the story about when you were in high school and you were a big football star mm-hmm. and you worked at the grocery store and your mom said, what do you do there? All you do is talk to the people who come in to talk to you about football.
2: You're supposed to do that. My, you know what? <laughs> I got those gentlemen in the store. They would come in and there was always coffee. I'd make the coffee and they'd come in and they'd love to just sit around and talk about football with me. And the town never had a team to go to the playoffs. And we were the, like we were, we were the first class to ever do it. The owner of the store knew what was going on. He was excited that they were even coming to the store. They usually (laughs) just send their wife to the store and stay home. You know, so he got probably an extra bag of chips out of it or some Little Debbie snacks. So, I mean, I I raised the bottom line for sure. You definitely did.
0: If you're asked, what is a leader? How do you define a leader?
2: You know, I've always been told in my military career that a leader always gives purpose and direction. But also, I learned very quickly that A leader is never afraid or unwilling to do a task that they ask someone to do. For me, it's always about going the extra mile, making sure my guys always ate first. I always help with filling sandbags. The jobs that you didn't want to do, that you thought you outgrew because you were no longer a private, I still did. When it comes down to being a leader, I just try to always put the best example out there and make sure that I'm a role model for not only my children, but for also people around me that are, whether they're older or younger than me, making sure that I can just be out there in front. And showing people how to do things the proper way.
1: I think we heard you're writing a book on leadership.
2: I think my next book is going to be called I'm Not a Victim and Neither Are You that's kind of a hard title. I know that, but I'm going to soften it up with a blurb on the front that says how I found purpose and direction to get through my struggles or my situation. Cause I feel like everybody I meet is always like, I wish I could have my cousin or my sister or my brother or my friend hear you. And you know, I'm going to make sure it's fun. I'm make sure it's upbeat and positive, but I'm also going to give a little kick in the behind saying, you know, it's on you as well to get better. It's on you to believe in yourself. It's on you to make sure that you can keep going and pushing forward. I just feel like it's kind of what the audiences I speak to, that's what they say that their people need. And usually like seven out of 10 people have something they've went through where they have to deal with and and my stories help change them or made them feel happy or positive. So if I can help out and give back, I'm going to do that. And I feel like this is the best way to do it.
0: And we can say this because we saw you in action. You really don't feel like a victim. You do not live a life
2: as a victim. So everybody says wounded warrior and and I get like that's supposed to be like a a good term, but I just feel like it has such negative connotations now. I feel like it's always like, Oh, you're one of those wounded guys. And like, granted, yes, I was laying in bed with no arms, no legs, 110 pounds lighter than I started, but I'm not wounded anymore. I don't want to have people look at me and treat me a certain way because they feel like they should feel sorry for me. I, I get where the empathy comes in and I do appreciate that, but at the same time, I want people to know that, hey, I'm thriving yeah. and I'm just grateful that I have the ability to go around and speak and give my message. But, you know, there's also, I think too many times now, if you get asked if you're a veteran, people are saying, oh, you're one of those veterans. What do you have wrong with you? And I'm more like, hey, what's up? I'm Travis. I'm a recalibrated warrior if you want to call me something. And I'm just here to hang out and have a good time and we'll get through life's stuff together.
0: That is really powerful. You make it sound so simple <laughs> and yet... Wow. And the work that
1: it took, you just can't take that lightly. It was a lot of work (laughs) you put in to change your attitude and to change your life. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go unnoticed. But we want to ask you, and we ask everybody about their daily routines. Mm -hmm. What's your daily routine and how do you stay healthy and happy?
2: How do I stay healthy and happy? Those sometimes go hand in hand. Other times they don't. How I stay happy is I eat Philly cheesesteaks. Every now and then I cheat (laughs) and I sneak those. No, I mean, my daily routine, I wake up. I get the ability to take my daughter to school most days. See her off to her lessons. And my son and I now, he's six months old. He's just started crawling. And we roll around the floor and have a good old time. I guess for me, just finding positivity through the things I'm able to do. I'm able to own a small business on top of the the foundation where my parents moved here to run it and work for me and take care of it. And I just keep myself busy to the point where I'm constantly doing something. I'm here doing this right now. I have to head to Sam's Club next and buy a couple things. <laughs> I just want to keep myself always busy, always going and always moving to some kind of end result or some goal.
1: Do you lift and do you do, I've seen you running and doing all that. So for exercise, what do you do?
2: I did CrossFit and then my trainer left. And right now I'm talking with another trainer and I'm going to start probably when I get back my next trip and I'm going to start working out with him and get all all fit again. So I do lift. It's adaptively, so I use a lot of bands and a lot of adaptive devices like that. But no, I plan on getting all buff again. Good. So I'm also eating healthy. Like I know I joke around about Philly cheesesteaks, but you know, I have a shake in the morning and fresh fruit and then I like feeling good. So I'm gonna try to drop some pounds since Mm -hmm. beach season's coming. I wanna be pretty.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about fatherhood.
2: Oh, that's the greatest thing actually. Fatherhood's the best part of my day. Like last night, my daughter was was ready to rumble. So I said, All right, you eat all your dinner, we'll go upstairs and we'll wrestle. So I went upstairs and I wrestled my daughter and then I was the one tucking her at night and we got to we watched, you know, a TV show together and then I told stories and then she fell asleep. And then my son this morning we were able to roll around the carpet and we we'll play with the ball. And I mean I'm not telling anybody out there that doesn't have a kid to like go out and have a kid. But at the same time like go do it. It'll make your life so much better because kids are awesome. They are awesome.
1: How about faith in your life? Do you have any faith or spirit or anything?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a Christian. So like the book starts out with a song because I I was shaken for a minute there. Like I was pretty upset, frustrated that this had happened to me. And I was questioning if God hated me or why this would be this way. Mm -hmm. And there was Joshua 1, 9 in my room. and I kept reading it over and over and over again. I told my mom, just go ahead and turn that over. I don't want to read that no more. I said, what did he take a break? And then come back and say, oh, wow, now I got to save him. My mom said, don't you say that. And it took about two weeks, if I'm being just entirely honest, to get back to, hey, you know what? You can't just be a believer when everything's going away. You can't just be happy with God and have a relationship when your life's all hunky dory. So I was fortunate to get back to that. And my wife and I attend a church here locally in Maine as much as possible when I'm out on the road. It's a big factor in my life.
1: Speaking of Maine, tell us about the Elizabeth Arden <laughs> yes. estate okay. and, and how you acquired that. And it looks beautiful.
2: Yeah, Well, it, it is. It is. So Elizabeth Arden was a cosmetic pioneer of 1900s. And she bought this place in 1929 and built it, bought the land and built this place brand new. And my wife and I wanted to start a foundation to give back. And we wanted to be able to host families and give them the positivity and the ability to know that, you know what, just because this happened doesn't mean that you're alone and that you have to live life on the sidelines. We went out and did a couple proof concept weeks where it went so well, we raised enough funds to buy a foundation property. And we came upon Elizabeth Arden Estate. And we started to renovate this property and it took us two years. And now we can host eight families per week that have been through some kind of injury sustained from combat or service connected, but it has to be paralyzation, amputation or spinal cord injuries. And it's all the physical injuries that you see right now because that's what I know about. That's what I deal with. And we have great partnerships with other people that are out there that have the PTSD or TBI and things like that. Like we know how to help them get connected with other nonprofits that are doing great work in those realms. We bought this property. We fixed it up. We renovated. We opened last June. We hosted 88 families last year from over 23 different states. And we were very fortunate that this year we're going to host 126 families from, I'm not sure how many states right now, but we're, we're close to meeting our full quota for the summer already. And we just opened up our reservations link to get yourself on the list to come. We opened it up two weeks ago and we've almost filled up all the slots.
0: And is the marina there?
2: My marina is 17 miles away from there. It's a different side business that I bought with a buddy because I went to get gas one day and the owner of the marina said, hey, Travis, you should buy this place. <laughs> and I said, Okay. I said, Andy, why would I buy this place, buddy? And he showed me the P&Ls and he showed me where they didn't want to grow the business, but where the business could grow <laughs> done right. And it's been a fast and furious, fun, hectic, stressful time. Right. And pretty exciting. We might get a reality TV show based off from it. So if you think Duck Dynasty, just think Travis Mills, and that's what you got. So it should be fun. We'll see how it goes. And that's incredible.
0: So you'll be a reality fun. television star?
2: As long as it's done the right way. I have a big meeting in New York coming up this weekend about it. But if everyone wants to see what the trailer will look like, if everybody goes to my Facebook page, if you go on Facebook and you got your thumbs out, you type in SSG Travis Mills, You'll find it. It's right there on the top of the page. And it says, we bought a lodge. So you can see the trailer. It's a five minute long trailer, micro sponsored, and we're hoping to get a show. So it'll be pretty exciting stuff if we do.
0: That's awesome. What would you want people to think about you after they
2: meet you? Well, wow, that's just a regular, everyday, normal guy. He looks different. He's a little, he's a little crazy, but uh, <laughs> I can see he's just normal. I, I would rather have people walk away and forget the fact that I have yeah. no arms and legs. Yeah. Because when I talk to people sitting at a table and they don't realize, they think I'm just missing one arm. Then I stand up and they're like, I'd rather have people not see the injury, but see me. I think that's how how it's going right now, which is nice. And it's just about breaking down those walls and those barriers. So people, when they walk up, don't feel uncomfortable to say, hey, what's going on?
0: Don't we all just want to be seen as to who we are? Exactly. So Travis, we have
1: some rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests on our podcast. The first one is, what book do you think everyone should read?
2: Tough as they come.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Definitely. But yeah. on
2: top of that, Extreme Ownership by Leif Babin and Jocko Willett is one of my one of my favorites.
1: Why? Yeah. Tell, tell us why.
2: Because they're Navy SEAL commanders that talk about always taking ownership of any situation, whether it's your fault or not. If you don't think it's your fault, find out how it's your fault and how you can fix it. And they tell it with combat knowledge. And I just, I really, really like it. It's a great book. And they're they're actually good friends of mine too.
1: What quote brings you strength and peace?
2: I use Joshua 1-9 because I had it in my room. I wasn't pleased with what had happened to me. And I use that one. So it's be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for your Lord God will be with you wherever you go. I tend to not really get religious because I don't want to be looked at as praying on religion. Right. right. No one would ever say that I have or I would. And I make sure that I'm very cautious about making sure that never comes out of anybody's mouth. It's like he's just trying to pray on religion to make money.
1: What would you say to your 20 year old
2: self? I would say probably try to go and do some higher echelon stuff in the Army, like try to go become special operations, whether ranger bat or special forces. Not that the infantry wasn't great, but it was. But also at 20, I'd probably say finish your degree. You only got a year and a half left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite meal?
2: <laughs> Steak, potatoes, baked on the grill, of course. With asparagus mm. and then cheesecake to finish. <laughs> <laughs> but the healthy, the healthy kind of cheesecake.
1: Of course. And then the last question is, who would you like to sit next to at dinner tonight? If you could sit next to anyone and why?
2: Me, I would sit next to my wife. Mm. But then I'm going to sit next to her at dinner tonight. I just want to make sure that that got on the radio uh, or the podcast. But sit next to anybody at dinner. To, uh, if I sit next to anybody at dinner tonight, who would I sit next to? I'd like to pick Kevin Hart's brain because he cracks me up. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, that's, that's okay. Good.
1: That's, that sounds like fun.
2: And you know, I also, I've been able to hang out with his brother a couple of times. I wouldn't mind sitting next to him again. That was really cool. I hung out in President Bush's office at SMU for like 45 minutes to an hour so that was cool
0: and what happened yeah tell us how that went then.
2: my daughter kept running in with little pictures she was drawing with his secretary logan and i did a hand joke where i told him his hand was voice activated but i didn't do it to him he made me get one of his chief of staffs that walked by and of course you know i got to eat with you lovely ladies last week so i can't pick you because that'd be just selfish yeah. <laughs>
0: right well travis thank you yeah this, this has been a great visit so great and so kind of you to be part of this with us. The work I hope you're it was doing fun. It was well, really thanks. fun. The work you're doing is, is so inspirational, really. And Dora said it at the beginning we're also better off for knowing you. So thank you.
2: Oh, come on. I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you very much. I hope that you guys have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks for your time.
0: Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia. And I'm Doro. Be well.